Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Do you ever feel like you're not enough or what you do just doesn't make a difference? Sometimes what seems insignificant can actually become an overflow. During this series, we will explore how to overflow in grace, generosity, and gratitude. When we live a life of overflow, our life becomes an inspiration to those around us. We skip the scarcity mindset and live a life to overflow into others. In this message, Pastor Andy McGowan teaches us how we can live a life in God's generosity. Enjoy the message. All right, well, we are in our the Overflow series. This is a series of casting off the scarcity mindset. And today we're going to talk about generosity. In fact, we are living in an era uh, where it seems like there's just not enough, right? Especially with inflation, right? Allison had me go out to the grocery store and I was horrified with what things cost. I was like, okay, a dollar ought to get a loaf of bread. Okay, maybe two years ago on sale, right? And so inflation is is causing us to feel like we don't have enough. Uh, You see help wanted signs everywhere saying we need more workers, which it's telling us, okay, there's not enough people out there. And and maybe the people are out there. Maybe people just don't want to work. I still don't understand that one. But again, it's there is not enough. And then when you're on social media and you see the social media influencers and they're telling you, you need to do these five things and then your life is going to be better. And if you do these things, you're going to be better and you will be enough in this certain area of your life. But if you don't do these things, then you're not being better and you're not being enough. It's just exhausting, isn't it? And it's easy for this era in our life for us to think that we, there's no way that we have an abundant God. And there's no way that God can move through us in a, in a way to where we can actually be an overflow to others. Some of us were just like, I'm just trying to survive. God wants us to be an overflow. We serve in an, an abundant, unlimited God, amen? A few months ago, I started getting late notices from some of my bills, some of We Energies. Huh. I started getting late notices from uh, the, the, the health insurance, and I'm like, what in the world? I'm, I'm, I'm typically very good with paying my bills on time. What is going on? Well, it turns out, uh, as I was dumbfounded, it turns out that my son, my at the time five-year-old son, Graham, uh, decided that he was going to get the mail for us, all right? He was going to take all the mail, and he was piling it up high in his room. I didn't know about this until my 11-year-old says, Graham, he's being a hoarder. And he began to bring these things up. I'm like, that's our We Energies bill. Uh, that's, I don't even know why Ford's sending us. I, I realized this is where everything's been. And I was happy because I can realize, okay, I can pay the bills. But then it, it dawned on me, wait a minute. Elias, where did you learn the word hoarder? He said, oh, YouTube. YouTube? Oh, what are you, what are you, what are you watching on YouTube? And then, he, then he's explaining where he saw it. I'm like, oh, man, I'm a bad parent, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, he's, he's learning hoarder from YouTube. Yeah, hoarders, right? Everybody seen that show? It's probably old now, that show, Hoarders, right? It's a show where people just have a little, they have usually obsessive compulsive disorder. They, they, they begin to hoard all these usually worthless things and they pile it so high that literally if you were to dig through the possessions, it's like a time machine, right? Uh, you, literally, I saw an episode where they began to dig six feet underneath the trash and they began to find papers and newspapers from the 1980s. In fact, there was one uh, instance of a hoarder, a Connecticut woman. She actually had so much stuff, she died underneath of it. Uh, police found the body of a 66-year-old lady uh, when a letter carrier warned that the mail had begun to pile up. Uh, they, they went inside, and to their amazement, there was so much junk, it collapsed the first floor and fell onto the lady. They had to take a backhoe just to, just to get all the stuff and to remove the debris. And, you know, we make shows about being hoarders, right? There's a whole channel about this. They, they like to show the extremities of life, and I believe the reason why we like to read the stories and watch uh, shows on the extremes of life because it makes us feel better about our life. Oh, I'm not that. Oh, I'm not that big of a hoarder. Oh, I, I don't do that type of thing, but they do. It's a, I feel better about myself. But listen, the reality is this. As Americans, as human beings in general, we are all junior hoarders. It's called materialism. Materialism is the tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important 
than anything in the spiritual world, specifically our relationship with Jesus. It's the idea that we don't have enough, and so we need to hold tightly with what we have in fear that we can lose what we have and that what we have is just not enough. We all struggle with this. We struggle with this in our time. We, we struggle with, it, with, with this when it comes with what we are talented with. We struggle with this with even our financial means. And Jesus knew this. And, 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 and Jesus knows that Satan wants us to replace our affections and our trust, which should be solely on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants to place it on the temporal. He wants us to place it on the things of this earth. In fact, Jesus is quoted in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It says this, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus reminds us. You've heard that? It's more blessed to, you know, to give than receive. And people are like, oh, that's a nice hallmark. No, Jesus said that. It reminds us that life is not about what we get, but what we give. He wants to flip the equation that we're not just consumers, right? That's why we have a core value here at Kenosha City Church that we are not just consumers, but we want to be contributors into the kingdom of God, into what God is doing. In fact, that's our main point this morning. Write this down. It's more blessed to give than receive. If you want to put uh, the uh, quote, uh, person who said it, you just put Jesus, okay? is more blessed to give than receive. Now this is the first generosity message I've given in over five years. I don't like giving these messages. And I had to ask myself, uh, why don't I like giving these messages? I was on a plane ride from Belize yesterday. I was just praying to the Lord. I'm like, why, Lord, why? And, and, and I think it's because when it comes to things that we believe that as our stuff, we get really possessive, all of us, even including myself. And so it's touchy, and Jesus knew that. In fact, the Bible, there are 500 verses on faith and prayer. 500. But there are over 2,000 verses when it deals with money and possessions. God knew we would have a problem with holding on to these things of our life as if they're the ultimate thing that we need to hold on to. Jesus knew our stuff would compete with our hearts. We like our stuff. He knew that our stuff could become God. And he wants to remind us this morning Everything that we have is on loan from him. So let's take a look at that first one. Number one, taking notes, we naturally like our stuff. We naturally like our stuff. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. In fact, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or your YouVersion Bible app or the Kenosha City Church app, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus speaking says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at verse 19. The word laying up, we see the laying up of treasures. This is a connotation of stacking up or laying horizontally the possessions that you have. Just as my son Graham was lying up horizontally all the bills I needed to pay, all right? What the Bible's saying here is we love to take our possessions and lay them up horizontally. We like to build towers of wealth. But that word laying up in the original could be actually be translated correctly, hoarding. He's telling us do not hoard up your wealth. Where these things will break, they'll, they'll rust, or moths will destroy them. That's an interesting way of putting it. What do they mean by moths destroying it? In the ancient times, wealth was often measured by clothing. In ancient times, you would get a, a, a you'd clothing to be made by wool. Now, I know that wool is itchy, right? Whenever my mom would buy me something wool and make me wear it at Christmas, it was awful. But it was in, just like 90s clothes are back in today, Right? I mean, if you're like wearing something, like, look at this. I'm like, I've seen that, all right? It's from the 90s. Those are called mom jeans, all right? So anyway, wool was a status symbol. But the bane of all wool was the moth. No matter how rich you were, the moth would eventually eat your clothes. And so, our stuff will not last, is what Jesus is saying. And often... We set our hearts on the things that will not last. 
Jesus warns us. You want to know where your heart is? What do you treasure? What do you treasure? At home, we have this treasure box. It's about this big. Uh, and inside of it, I, we, I haven't even opened it for years, but inside of it are our keepsakes. Some of the first letters that Allison and I exchanged with, with each other. And some of, we went to a few plays, and I found some of the playbills and, and uh, some baseball cards, and uh, to name a few things. Uh, these are keepsakes that I think all of us have keepsakes. All of us have a box full of things that we just don't want to part with. I'm guilty. I'm a collector. But there's a problem here. The Bible's not saying that you shouldn't have keepsakes, that you shouldn't have things that are meaningful to you or a family heirloom. What the Bible's saying is that often we don't have a keepsake box. We have keepsake boxes uh, that don't just are in the basement, but that we fill our homes with, our garages with. We have to order a, a, a garage and rent in a separate garage just to fill all our stuff with. Things that we don't want to part with. And today, many of our minds are being filled with our possessions, our desires, our wants. And they are perhaps crowding out the things the Lord wants to do through you to move the ministry forward. We're not to lay up the treasures, the stuff on earth. But we're instructed here to lay up treasures in heaven where things will not break, where things will not become old, where moth will not eat away, uh, things that will ultimately and eternally bring satisfaction to our souls. When our time and our talent and our treasures are used to further the work of God's kingdom, lives will be changed and you'll begin to realize you're living in the purposes of God. Man, when you let God use you through the whole totality of your life, it is an adventure and a feeling you just can't get enough of. When you know that the God, when God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, eternal God who never changes, is using you. And that's why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. But we naturally like our stuff. And when we naturally like our stuff and we, begin, and we let our life be all about that stuff, it leads us to the second thing. Our stuff can become our God. Our stuff can become our God. Back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. How many of you love snow, right? How many of you love it? Raise your hand, like seeing the snow this week. I saw pictures of it, all right? How many of you, when you saw the snow flying, it began to start showing up on your yard? Like, what is this? Some of you in northern Kenosha County, you're like, it's actually sticking on the streets. What is this, right? But people go crazy whenever there's the first snowstorm. They love it. It's like they've never seen it before. They're like, look at this, a snowflake, and you put it on Facebook. I know this is true because I don't just see one post on Facebook. It's my whole feed. It's like, okay, it snowed in Kenosha, right? How do I know? Saw it 100 times, all right? And we got about half an inch. You wouldn't do that in January, but people freak out at the first one, and I freak out too. It's pretty cool, right? We all like the first snowstorm or the first snowfall. But no matter if you love snow, like it, hate it, whatever, nobody likes being caught in a blizzard. You've been caught in a blizzard before? Where you're driving, it's whiteout conditions, it's drifting on the road. It is frightening, isn't it? And I think one of the most frightening things is, especially when you're in a whiteout conditions, is that you don't know to the left or the right. You don't know where the road's going. You very well could be driving straight into the ditch. Your perspective is hazy, it's foggy. Now notice, in verse 23, if our eyes can't function, and that's what a blizzard does, it, it creates our eyes to no longer function what reality is. If our eyes can't function, our whole body will be full of darkness and confusion. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that our eyes are the source of light, but rather we receive the light, we receive the information to guide us. What he's saying here is this, is when we let our stuff become our God, it, it gives us a foggy perspective of life. It, it, it puts us in a blizzard of our stuff where we can no longer see the, the horizon line of God's purpose and will for your life. 
So much of our life is wasted on serving the stuff that God has loaned to us that we forget about the God who owns all the stuff. Our stuff, our money, our, they promise to give us something that only God can give us, that only God can provide. Our stuff, our money, our, our prestige, it, it, it tells us, it promises us, if you only have enough of this, You'll have security. You'll have security. And so you go on that pursuit. Do I have enough for retirement? Do I have enough friends? Will I be able to stay in this home if, if, I, if I have enough money? Or can I, what can I do to this home because I'm not satisfied with it? Or will I be able to walk on the beach when I retire because I had enough? You, you want security. And it tells you if you have enough stuff, you'll be secure and you'll feel just right. But it, there's never enough. You ask the richest people how much is enough, and they say just a little bit more. Our stuff, our money, our possessions, they also promise you freedom. Only God can give you freedom, but your stuff says, ah, if you have enough, you can do what you want. If you do what you want, you can be your own king. Your stuff, your money, possessions, your prestige, they also promise you power and significance. I've mentioned this a number of times here, but I'll let you know if this is your first time here. I was once a butler, all right, in a multi-million dollar mansion. Seven acres in Northbrook. You don't get seven acres in Northbrook, okay? They did. And it was a nice, sweet old lady who used to be on Broadway. Her husband had passed away, and she had so much rich stuff in her place. I remember there was a rug uh, on the wall, and she got mad at me one time and just started pointing at it. Well, how much do you think that was? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, the rug? $300. I can't believe you thought it was $300. It was $7,000. I'm like, well, we're playing this game now, all right? Her significance was in this stuff. And, and you know what? It did bring her into social circles that she could never be in if it wasn't for all the stuff that she had. But you know what she admitted to me one day when she was just being really real and really transparent? She told me as we were talking, she was, she was of the Jewish faith and, and she was asking me about Jesus and we had a great gospel conversation. She told me, said, Andy, I want you to know I have all this stuff, but I'm so lonely. Elderly lady, lived her whole life, had everything that she wanted, nothing that was withheld from her. She says, I'm lonely. The only people that come around here are people that want my stuff. Stuff that it, it, it says it's going to give you power and significance. It'll only make you lonely if that's what you find your significance in. Our stuff, our money, our possessions, our prestige. It tries to give us things that only God can provide. And there's a war for our affections right now in your hearts. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account or what you own. Our hearts want stuff. And there's a war for your heart right now that you will put your trust and faith into the things of this world and not the things of eternity. Jesus speaks to this war that goes on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the original uh, Aramaic of the word money, of, of money is, is mammon. And it can be translated money, but it also has a bigger understanding than just money. You can translate it, you cannot serve God and money. You could also say you cannot serve God and prestige. You cannot serve God and, 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 and all the possessions that you have. You cannot serve God and wanting things. Like, again, it's the whole idea of accumulating things of this world that you find value in. It's not just money. And you cannot serve those things and serve God at the same time. You will love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. Now notice what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying that possessions or money or, or being, you know, having friends is evil. Money's not evil. But it's the spirit of serving money, wealth, and possessions. When you serve money, wealth, and possessions, you hold life with a tight fist. You, you, you hold life with thinking, I, I, I live with a finite life. I, 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 don't, I don't serve a God of abundance. I'm serving, I, I, I'm, I'm living in a life where there's just not enough of anything. And I need to hold tightly just in case if I lose it. But the Spirit of God reminds us. It's all His. And we need to live a life of open-handedness. Letting the Spirit of God allow to use us to move His ministry forward. When we serve the spirit of money, a deceptive spirit takes control of our hearts and it turns into greed and selfishness and self-deception. 
that we are self-made. Jesus is saying, you you can't do that. You're going to love one and hate the other. We're warned elsewhere in Scripture the power of possession and money. Solomon, for instance, he had everything he could ever imagine, the King Solomon. He had 500 tons of gold. I don't even know what that is. It's so much. In fact, I tried calculating out today's uh, value of that. It's in the tens of billions at least. Uh, He had 40,000 stalls for horses. He had a lot. And a sordid side of Solomon, he had 1,000 wives. Well, 800 wives and and a couple hundred concubines. 1,000. He had it all. Nothing was withheld from Solomon. But this is what he said in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a really interesting book in the Old Testament because it is Solomon when he's burnt out on life. He's had it all and he realized, man, none of this stuff satisfies. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. It's like, man, I had everything. And it doesn't satisfy I wish you were something more, but I already have it. Paul warns in the New Testament, his apprentice, Timothy, who was leading the early church of the dangers of money as well. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, money isn't evil. It's the love of money and what comes with money. For loving our stuff, what we are told very clearly here in Scripture is we're actually hating the things of God. Uh, We are are not thinking of the things of eternity. Listen, you can be loaded in this life without God. We see that in Hollywood. We see that online. But listen, here's the deal. None of that stuff gets wired into the eternal bank account. There, There was a bumper sticker in my neighborhood growing up, and it said, he who has the most toys wins. Have you seen that bumper sticker before? And it was just, was, it parked in my, in my street. And I finally asked my parents, like, what does that mean? Like, I think we need more toys, because we're not winning. I looked in my room, not enough toys. And like, uh, no, 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 it's just a joke. It's like, it's a joke? The thing is, if you think about that line, he who has the most toys in the end wins. Really? We come into this world with nothing. We will leave this world with nothing. Those things cannot go with us into eternity. So again, reading this passage, is this stuff evil? No, it's the love in pursuit of making our life about all our stuff. Your heart cannot be in two places at once. You'll either love your, love your stuff or you'll love God. And the American Christian, I would say all humanity uh, is tempted every day that you want it both ways. But we're told in scripture, you can't have it both ways. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, four signs you're in love with your stuff. I'm gonna put them on the screen for you. Let's just make this really practical. Like, okay, I don't love my stuff. All right, let's take a look at maybe some symptoms if we're falling in love with our stuff. Four signs. Number one, you're willing to make money by any means, even without honesty. If that's the case, you're cutting corners, you're in love with your money. You're in love with your stuff. Number two, you're not content with what you have. Like you look around and you're just like, I want more, I want more, I want more. You're probably falling in love with your money. We're told in Philippians 4.11 to be content in all things. Number three, you flaunt your possessions. After Christmas Day, you're like, look what I got, right? You may be in love with your money and possessions. And number four, you resent or fight giving away your stuff. It's just so hard. When you want to give a box away to, to, to the Goodwill or St. Vincent de Paul or to, another, or to a charity... You're like, you, you give away some of the junkiest stuff that probably is better used in a recycle bin or a dumpster. If you have a tough time giving away stuff, you may be in love with your money or your stuff. Listen, here's the question I have for you. Do your things have authority over your heart or do you give authority over your stuff to God? What has the authority in your life this morning We naturally like our stuff, and when we allow that to continue, our stuff will become our God. Third thing about our stuff. 
and this is where I want to land and get really practical, is yes, we naturally like our stuff and our stuff to become our God, but the reality is none of it's our stuff. Not one thing that we own in this world is our stuff. Everything, our stuff, is actually on loan from God. Everything on this earth is the Lord's and we'll either be good stewards or bad stewards with it. We see this in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? According to this passage, who owns all the stuff? The Lord God Almighty, right? It's all his. And this is tough because we live in a world where we, we want to claim I've got all my things by the sweat of my brow. I have all these friends because of my charm. I've done all these things because I've been diligent in saving. Listen, those things might not necessarily be bad. Uh, you you want to be good with your and good stewards of your things because you want to be good stewards if they're actually God's already, right? But the thing is this, it's not ours. I'm not telling you to stop working. I'm not telling you to be responsible in the workplace. Do all of that because we serve the king and he gives us his stuff to be good stewards as a result. But we remember, not ours, we're his stewards of his things he has given us. Now, how many of you would say the more you're paid or the more you accumulate, the more generous you'll be? How many would, how many would agree with that? Like you hear about that, right? It's like, all right, well, I'll be more generous, but I'm just in a hard spot in life right now. I, I just, I'll be generous if, and usually put terms on the table. I usually hear that. Man, if only if I, I'm getting paid 40,000, but if I can get paid 80,000, I'll be generous. Here's the real stats. According to recent IRS data, those who made under $25,000 gave on average 12.3%. Those who made 50 to $100,000 gave between 4 and 5%. So it's almost cut in half here. Actually, it's more than cut in half. And those who gave above 100000 it drops to under 3%. Those are just the raw numbers. What I'm telling you is this. Generosity doesn't wait for later. Generosity needs to start now, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what your circumstances are in life. Because it says in verse 11, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? All things are on loan from God to us to be good stewards not about if you have a little bit more it's are you willing to be generous where you're at right now J. john uh a, he's a, a pastor in england he gave us a hilarious illustration i've shared this years ago but i, I think it's one of the, the funniest things he talked about donuts donuts he talked about an englishman uh that went uh into a donut shop and it's not uncommon when you go to a donut shop uh, that you would share a table in England if it's busy with a stranger, all right? I've done that in England before. You just sit at a table, you say hello, and uh, they might talk back, they may, I, I don't know. And so uh, this, this individual, his name was Billy, went into a donut shop, bought a bag of donuts, sat down at a table with a stranger. And as, uh, and as Billy was taking a good sip of his coffee, he noticed the guy across the table reached for his bag of donuts, and he reached for his bag of donuts without even asking, takes a donut out of the bag and begins to eat the donut. Billy was just dumbfounded. I was like, what in the world? Why would this guy take this donut? I mean, uh, it, he's a thief. He's a donut thief. What is the world coming to? So Billy takes back his bag, gives him that eye, you know, that, that look. Sometimes husbands, we get that look from our, our wives but he gave that look like, hands off my donut bag, you donut thief look. He reached in the bag, grabbed a donut for himself, began to sip his coffee. He put the donut bag down, and the minute he put the donut bag down, the guy from the other side of the table grabs the donut bag again, opens up the donut bag, takes another donut out, 
and begins to eat it. And at this point, Billy's like, that wasn't a mistake the first time. You know when you go into an awkward situation, like, maybe that was just a mistake. Well, it was no joke. This guy was indeed a donut thief. He's now eaten two of his donuts. He's like, oh, how could you? Well, anyway, this, this donut thief, he's like, oh, I got to go. So the donut thief begins to take his coat. He, he puts his coat on. And before he leaves, he takes the bag one more time. He reaches into the last donut. He breaks the donut in two. He gives, he eats his half of the donut. He hands the other half of the donut to Billy and says, have a good day. And he walks off. <laughs> Billy's dumbfounded. He's like, this guy's crazy. He's like, and I'm not going to eat that donut. He's touched it, right? I'm not going to eat that donut. He's like, you know what? I'm going to show him who's boss. I'm going to go after him. So Billy begins to put on his coat. And as he puts on his coat, he gets up from his seat. And as he gets up from his seat, he realizes he was sitting on a bag of donuts. He was sitting on his bag of donuts, which means the donut thief wasn't a donut thief. Billy was the donut thief. He was eating the other guy's donuts. And the other guy was so generous enough to share his donuts. Now, why am I sharing this? Well, it's because the donut thief was actually very generous right? And Billy thought he was a thief, but actually those weren't his donuts to begin with. You see where I'm going with this, right? Sometimes we're like, hands off my stuff, hands off my things, when we realize they aren't really our things, right? The moral of the story is this, J. John, I love that he says this, is that God owns all the donuts. When you go get out there, know that God owns those donuts, but it's not just donuts. He owns everything, and everything that's been given to you is on loan to you from God. And often we can think, oh man, these are ours. Hands off, God, hands off. No, they are His, given to you in generosity and love and care to be good stewards. He owns all the donuts, God does. He owns everything. And every day, God is asking us to bring to Him what is already his everything is God's on loan to us what is incredible is when we give God our first and our best we're telling him God we trust you with the rest that you give us to enjoy give us the rest to live our money our stuff is to be submitted for God's purposes because who owns all the stuff church who owns all the stuff who owns it God does and when we're open-handed with your stuff, you're submitting your stuff to him. But when we're closed-fisted, we say, God, hands off what I believe is mine. We're to be stewards, to be generous people. We're to be stewards to give into the kingdom of God through our time, through our talents, and through our treasure, which we will, we, our, that's our finances. We give God our first and our best, and we trust him with the rest. When we are generous people, uh, this is not to, so that we can go into some name it and claim it theology. The reason, why, the reason why I believe many people don't want to talk about generosity is because they turn on Christian TV and they see examples of guys saying, if you give just a little bit more today, that Mercedes Benz uh, will, will be out in the parking lot for you. Uh, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to give. I want Mercedes Benz in my parking lot. Right? No, we don't give to get. We give to bless the Lord God Almighty. We give so that ministry goes forward. John MacArthur, he puts it this way, sacrificial generosity should mark every believer and the absence of such perspective reveals one love of money. Malachi 3.10 says it this way, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down for you a blessing that there is no more need. The prophet Malachi was talking to God's chosen people they were rebuilding the temple and they had fallen into apathy and they began to withhold giving into the things of God. And he's like, hey, stop robbing from God. He actually uses that terminology in Malachi. Stop robbing from God. What they were doing is they were tipping God instead of tithing to God. And so this morning, how are we to be generous? We need to be generous with our time, not neglecting meeting together. Not neglecting sharing our lives together with one another. That's why we love city groups. But even just in our everyday life, connecting with other people. We are not to neglect giving our talents uh, to the Lord. And we're not to neglect the tithe. And there's so much misunderstanding with this. What is biblical giving? Well, that word tithe that we see in Malachi chapter 3, uh, it means tenth or 10% of one's earnings given to uh, the things of God to move ministry forward. 
The tithe is giving specifically, practically, to the local church, God's bride. Uh, but there's, there's a debate today. It's like, well, is that really what we should be doing today? Isn't that Old Testament law? But I want to tell you, I, I believe firmly today that this is a principle, a starting point that wasn't just Old Testament law. It predated the Old Testament law, and Jesus affirmed it in the New Testament, and we saw it continued in the New Testament church. You see, before the law in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 through 20, we see that Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek, king of Salem. This is before the giving of the law. Melchizedek is the order of priesthood that Jesus is said to have come from, according to the book of Hebrews. Abram set into motion the heart of generosity through the tithe. We see the tithe was instituted in Old Testament law in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27. It was codified in the Old Testament law. But let's jump to the New Testament. We see Jesus speak of it in Matthew chapter 23, 23. In talking to the scribes and Pharisees, they, they loved parading their tithe around. They, 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 would, they would take a trumpet out. We are giving our tithe. We are so good. Right? And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, this does not impress me. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe your mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you have ought to have done without neglecting the others. But what they were doing is they didn't just tithe their money back then. They would tithe their produce. Produce was money uh, in those days. And so what they were doing is they were tithing and they're tithing well. And they're letting everybody know just how awesome they were. And Jesus is like, I am not impressed with your giving. It's mine anyway. What Jesus is saying is this. I want you to be obedient in all areas of life. And notice this. These you have ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, people sometimes use this passage of saying, tithing isn't for today. Don't worry about that, Jesus. No, no, what he's saying is, don't neglect any of it. He wants us to give, not in a legalistic manner, but one that is from our heart. He's speaking to religious leaders and saying, man, you're not impressing me. Now, some people today, they'd say, well, I don't have the right heart, so I'm just not gonna be generous. <laughs> you can't game God. All right, God's saying, no, I, he wants you uh, to, to trust him uh, by giving back to him and have a good heart. That's what's pleasing to him. So the tithe predates the law. It's also biblical. So how do we bless with the tithe? How do we do it? We see where it came from. Now, how do we do it? We need to do it by giving regularly. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, which was a, if you read the book, any of the Corinthian books, that church was a mess. They were messing it up everywhere, including giving. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, he said, On the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, each of you is to set aside something and save in keeping with how one is prospering, so that no one collects, so that no collections will be, need to be made when I come. He's basically saying, hey, give an offering, because if I come and you didn't, I'm going to give an offering. <laughs> in keeping, notice this, we see the first day of the week. Um, I don't think it necessarily needs to be like, oh, I need to give weekly. You just need to give regularly, okay? You need to give regularly. Uh, in keeping with one, how they're prospering. In some translations, they say, in proportion to your income. And notice this, it's proportional. It's proportional to what you're making. And the New Testament church, they would understand that as the tithe. So we need to give in proportion to our income. Again, I don't want you to hear here just like, okay, I'm just going to do this. It's going to be heartless. We want you to do this as an act of worship. God wants your heart more than he wants your money. But don't use that as an excuse never to give over what God is asking you to trust him with. Because Paul warned later on in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I can imagine Paul was already dealing with this when he wrote the second letter of Corinthians. He's like, okay, some of you misheard me. You're like, we don't have the right heart, so we're off the hook. No, 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 no. I want you to know, uh, if you reap sparingly, if you sow sparingly, you're gonna reap sparingly. If, if we don't give into something, which is uh, just a little bit of a sprinkle, how is that gonna move forward in the practicality? So we need to get with a good attitude. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul goes on and says this. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. All right? So notice this. He says not reluctantly. A good heart isn't like, oh, I wish I don't have to give this. Compulsive isn't like, oh, I'm just going to give the whole bank account, and you're being thoughtless about it. God wants your heart to be thoughtful. 
He wants your heart to be worshipful as you're giving uh, your first and your best. And he wants you to have a cheerful heart. Now, what's interesting about this word cheerful, it comes from the Greek, which comes from the word hilarion, where we get the word hilarious. He's saying, look, don't reap sparingly, all right? Don't sow sparingly. Uh, when you give, you need to be hilarion givers, huh? You need to be givers or the world's like, that doesn't make sense. What? You're going to do that? <laughs> cheerful is outrageous. And the awesome thing we see in the New Testament is that our giving can sur surpass the 10%. Some of us are going to give to outrageous generosity beyond that. In fact, when you give to the local church, many of us feel compelled to give to other ministries as well uh, above our, our, our tithe to the church. And that's outrageous giving. People are like, man, how could you give to all these different things? It's because God compels us to move the ministry forward. In fact, we're going to, give a, we're going to have an opportunity to do a Christmas offering at the end of the year. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. Where we're going to be able to bless ministries like crazy and launch ministry movements. But you know, giving is not just launching things. It's continuing things. When you give each and every week, it's an act of worship, but it actually keeps ministry moving forward. I say that when we give our, our little, you know, giving talk each week. But let me just give you a breakdown of how practical this is. To run Kenosha City Church on a month, we need somewhere in, in the ballpark of $28,000 to $30,000, and that's lean. That's lean. So I'm like, really, that much? Well, there's wages, there's ministry partnerships all across the world. Uh, right now, the ministry partnerships that we, are, uh, that we are serving, we serve an orphanage that if giving were to stop right now, orphans would not have food, clothing, education. Right now, you're, you're, right now money has gone to help homes in Russia uh, serve people who are on heroin. Get off heroin, go to Bible college, and plant churches. We hear of the war in Russia and how awful that is, but there are people on the ground advancing the gospel while the war is raging on, and they're doing it with not knowing that their lives can be taken or imprisoned for it. We have people right now uh, in uh, Italy, we're, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, uh, where we're about ready to launch in, in five to ten different countries in Europe to advance the gospel in a post-Christian world in Europe. That's what your giving is doing each and every week. You know what else it does? It, it, it keeps a youth ministry going. It keeps our kids' ministry going. It keeps the heat on. The heat in this building costs two to $3,000 a month in the winter. I hate that. That's why a month ago, we as a staff decided we want our money to go even further. For one month, we did this in October, we wore jackets and coats in the, in the office, we shut the boilers down, and we saved a couple thousand bucks. We, we want to see every dollar expand in this ministry so that people know Jesus and people can be rescued from their present circumstances. And it happens through the generosity of the saints. It's practical. So back to Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there may be food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heavenly armies, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Notice that phrase, put God to the test. Every instance in scripture where it says, put God to the test, you don't want to do that with the exception of Malachi. This is a positive test. He's like, look, uh, you may be withholding from the Lord. And that's what the people in the days of the Malachi were. They, they were withholding him and they were being chintzy to the Lord. He's like, listen, put me to the test. Show that I will not provide for you where you're so scared that you're not gonna be able to do if you give to me, is what the Lord's saying. God to the test. God is saying in your generosity, in your time, and your talents, and your treasure, put him to the test. Put him to the test. Where is it that you don't give time to the Lord? Put him to the test. Where is it that you don't give your, 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 your talents to the Lord? Put him to the test. I'll be very specific with needs here. I'm going to be very transparent and specific. We have a booming kids ministry. We need more teachers. You probably are that teacher. Start praying to the Lord. I already had some people say, I've been praying to the Lord. I, I'm, I'm hearing the call. But listen, sometimes it's not where we want to serve. It's where God needs you right now. If we only did what we wanted to do, then things wouldn't get done in this world. I believe that's why there's so many help wanted signs out in the stores right now. People are like, I don't want to do that. And we have real problems in society right now, right? Well, guess what? That happens in the church world too. We need to say, God, 
where do you need my hands and feet right now? Here I am. Here I am. Even if it puts me outside the comfort zone, put him to the test. And put him to the test in your finances. Maybe today you have not stepped into to giving. And by the way, if you are uh, not part of Kenosha City Church, you're just here your first Sunday, you can just listen to this and just take in the teaching of what it means to be biblically generous. We don't expect that from you, right? But if you call this home, I just want you to know, God is calling you today. Put him to the test in biblical generosity. Years ago, somewhere, my view of God being unlimited got challenged. It was called the recession. I started thinking of my school debt. I started thinking of my upside-down mortgage that happened through the recession. And I thought of everything I did not have at the expense of everything God had given me. And I began to have an open hand and began to clench that fist. I began to pull back on being generous uh, in my tithe. Well, one day, there was a kid that was uh, a student that was wanting to go on a missions trip. He's like, I just need 70 more dollars. I said, well, if God, I can't believe I said this. I said, if if God uh, puts a $70 check in my mailbox tomorrow, I'll give it to you. I thought I was that poor. I wasn't. I was just focusing on everything that was going wrong at the expense of what God was actually still giving well, guess what showed up in the mailbox the next day? I had overpaid my escrow by $70. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to give this to this student. And then I stopped dead in my tracks. I'm like, wait a minute. God, you're the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You own my house. You own my clothes. You own my bank account. You own my destiny. You own my time. You own my talents. And I've been holding it with a closed fist because I haven't been trusting you in it. And you know what? That's usually the last area that we trust God with is our possessions. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. I opened up my hands again. And I'm going to tell you, in that moment, I didn't become name it or claim it rich. My car, none of my locks work. So this morning, I usually like, you know, lower the window and and then I open it from the outside. My window would not go down this morning as I pulled into church. It was frozen. So I'm like crawling out the passenger door and people are watching me, laughing at me today, right? And I could be like, God, why'd you do this? I'm like, God, I'm so thankful for this car. Right? It's a perspective change. You open up your hand. You know what else happened when we began to to give our first and best back to God during that time? When we gave him the the, the full tithe? Budget time, Alice and I had some of our worst fights during that season. They stopped. They stopped. Why? Because we didn't approach the line items with a scarcity mindset. We approached it on our knees saying, God, you're the great provider. You're the great provider. And he trusts me, the Lord was saying. So I began to give him full. But listen, this isn't just the act of giving. It's the act of trusting that God really cares about. So let's take the test, all of us together. How is my over attitude with giving? My time and my talent and my treasure. Am I giving God my first or my last? This was important. In that season, I moved from, this is how it happened with me when I began to have a closed fist. I moved from giving God my first uh, to the local church and I moved it to the end. And I'm like, man, I got nothing. But somehow when I moved him back up to the top of the ledger, I had enough for everything else. I believed it changed my attitude and my spending. I, I didn't go to Starbucks more at the expense of God in that month, right? I realized, you know what? I'm gonna go to Starbucks one last time. How's my over-attitude with giving? How, and am I giving God my first or my last? The last one is this. This is really important. Some of you are here today in a really hard situation. You're like, but I can't give anything. I don't have income. I barely have food to eat. And you're telling me a message on giving? Like, I want to give but we have nothing to give, nothing. Like, we would give our first if we had a first. Listen, here's the deal. It's always about giving the first, right? But some of you are in a, in a situation that is, is snowballed so out of control. And this is where the church comes in. How can we give to you? That's the beauty of generosity. It moves the ministry forward. Just ask God, where's my heart at now? Where's my heart at now? So, Father, I pray right now that you would challenge our hearts. A God, that you would search it. Are we holding back? Are we holding that fist 
closed, are we opening our hands? Are we opening our hands? Just continue to ask God that. As you ask God that and let him search your heart and generosity, I just want to talk to anybody in this room right now that something is way more important if you haven't done this yet, way more important, and that is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You see, Jesus doesn't need your money to be saved. He needs your heart. He needs your heart. Do you know you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? Do you know that if you were standing before Jesus right now, he would let you into heaven? If your answer is, I don't know, or no, or you need to make certain of that right now. Make certain of your salvation right now. Just say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to make certain that I'm right with you. I need forgiveness of things that I've done wrong in my life. See, God created you to have a relationship with him, but our sins separate us from Almighty God. But Jesus, being so full of love, came to this earth in a time that we celebrate at Christmas to live, to later die, standing in your place, taking on every sin that you ever committed and forgiving you. Just cry out to him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead. I want to follow you now. If that's you this morning, every head's bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, you, you gave your life to Jesus. You made certain of it this morning. You were uncertain if you were right with God, but this morning, like, Jesus, make me right. I'm placing my faith and trust in you alone. If that's you this morning, raise that hand up high. Say, yeah, that's me. Awesome. That's me. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? You're making right with Jesus right now. You're placing your faith and trust in him alone. I see you. That's great. Awesome. Anybody else? So good. Each and every week, people saying yes to Jesus placing their faith and trust in what Christ did for them alone. God, I just pray for this whole church now. Search our hearts. I pray that we would not tip you. We would give the full tithe to you, God, in our time, in our talents, in our treasure. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.